Hey everybody, hey everybody, this is episode 7 of the Alberta Election Podcast with my good self, Omar Masood. And my good self, Vincent St. Pierre. Yeah. Hey, so we are coming up on two, three, maybe four days, depending on when you're listening to this for election day. Advanced polling's already on. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I'm seeing even, you know, I was surprised by the number of signs I'm seeing. It seems like there are more signs than the last election. But I yesterday... Uh, I saw two signs that just blew my mind. They were they had nothing. Well, one of them had nothing to do with uh, any political party. Uh, I was driving along Memorial Drive, uh, just by uh, Saint Saint Patrick's, uh, not Saint Patrick's, sorry, Princess Island Park, and in front of a house there was this massive sign that said, "Vote for the Pizza Party." A party that we can all get behind, and it was perfect. I like it. I like it. There's this um, some of my favorite lawn signs, Omar, the last couple of years. Uh, one was uh, I got a, a limited series of these printed out. If anyone from like the downtown core remembers the wandering turkey during COVID by the name of Turk, oh, yeah. I made lawn signs, had them in four different colors Turk for mayor, one flock, period. United, period. And it was just, uh, there's about 30 or 40 of them around the city. Some were orange, some were red, some were blue. One was like a neon pink. And there's always this two or three folks in Ramsey and Inglewood that uh, put out their Darth Vader, why vote for the lesser evil? Like, and it has like the full Empire logo. It's black, it's white. And it's just, it, it, people get creative, creative in the city on lawn signs. Funny. I saw this other one, and this was from a political party. I, it wasn't the UCP or the NDP. I won't uh, name the party, but it was. So, so the sign was a, a It was like a looked like a lawn sign, but it was a picture. Like uh, it was. It was a sign of a picture. So it was a photo of a lawn sign in a lawn yeah, so on a lawn sign. Yes, it was a photo of a lawn sign on a lawn. In a lawn sign. But to make it even more meta that that it was a photo of a lawn sign on a lawn, like, uh, all, and the photo, uh, it was also a reflection, a photo of a reflection of that lawn sign. And it itself was a lawn sign. I was like, is this like the, 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 in the movie Inception? Is this like the singularity that's going to like blow up the universe? Like, it was... It made no sense. It was what the what the hell? But it was I can't stop thinking about this. Like, what is the metaphor that is missing here? <laughs> or the person was just doing it for kicks. Yeah, but this is like a person you can vote for. Well, sometimes people run as joke candidates. Hold on a second. I know, I know. It was just oh my god. So, if you guys have any hilarious lawn signs that you've been seeing, you should definitely let us know. Uh, in the comments or wherever, send us a note. I, I am always fascinated by these lawn signs. It's 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 fascinating. I've been signed chairs for elections. I've designed probably close to twenty different lawn sign types. Yeah. I I always we we are sign appreciators here on this podcast. Oh, for, sure. for sure. I mean, I've definitely in the last election, uh, I was helping out. Well, I was putting lawn signs up, and we were 
up until like 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning, the first day of the election was called. But we wanted, we wanted to get all our lawn signs out and have them done and all the funny stories that came about. We were in front of, uh, um, uh, without uh, revealing her location, we realized we were in front of Ronna Ambrose's house. Uh, and we were like knocking in a lawn sign at about, um, it wasn't on her lawn, it was one of those street signs, but about, uh, I think, you know, 11 p.m. or something. And she was, I think, getting back from some function. And she's like, what are you guys doing outside? And we we're like, well, we're just putting up a sign. She's like, good going, get me. And she's very nice about it. She can I get you anything? And yeah, it was awesome. So, all right. So what do we have on the docket for our penultimate episode here? All right. So this is second last episode. Omar, let's start. The advance vote. We are two, two days in. We're recording this on a Thursday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So on Wednesday, that evening, we knew more than 300,000 Albertans already voted, which is record smashing in more ways than one. So, Omar... What are your thoughts about how the advance vote has gone so far? It's been, it's gone, it's, it's shocking. So I went and voted, uh, with like, I got a few of my coworkers. Never vote alone. Good. Yeah. Never vote alone. And we went to the central library downtown and I was in and out in less than a minute and a half. I would say 90 seconds tops. And it was super fast. It was so efficient. I think. Uh, you know, I think the the elections Alberta has done a really good uh, thing by advan- uh, not only like, increasing the number of places you can vote. And so if you're thinking of voting in the advanced polls, I believe you can vote in the advanced polls all the way till Saturday, including Saturday. And you can vote anywhere in the province where there's an advanced polling location. So if you're working downtown Calgary and you happen to be in Edmonton for the day for work or wherever outside like Airdrie, right, you're pick anywhere and there's an advanced polling location, you can actually just go in and vote if it's like right on your way home or on the way to work or on a lunch break or whatever. On campus, by your daycare, on the way to school or back from the school. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It makes it so easy. Omar, how long did it take you to vote? 90 seconds. 90 seconds. That tracks with my special ballot three weeks ago. Yeah, it was awesome. And so I think what's amazing is we were looking into this, Vince and I, and the, I think last election, the total number of advanced votes, and this was a voter turnout record smashing year in 2019 when the UCP came into power, the total number of advanced votes was 700,000-ish. And and we are not even halfway in here. Like we're almost halfway, you know, this, and as of recording, and we're on track to like you know reach like half of that, fifty percent of that number. And I'm sure it'll go closer to that eight hundred thousand, uh, nine hundred thousand mark. And the, and you know we are only in Alberta. We what four million people, maybe, but we at most like two and a half million people uh, who are. Uh, going to like are eligible to vote. So if two and a half million, two point eight million people voted, that would be a hundred percent voter turnout, and we are on our way to like, you know, eight hundred thousand of that. That's that's just amazing. My spreadsheet, which I have one for every election, 
I think we might actually be hitting 67, 68% turnout if this trend continues, which is pretty exciting for all involved. It means Albertans have been seized with the election or they're just tired of it and want to get it over with. Yeah, yeah. But what it means politically is interesting because both the parties are encouraging you for different reasons uh, based on their political strategies to vote early. So the NDP, uh, in my view, is like, you know, trying to like, you know, they keep on their they've been very effective in releasing videos about past comments that Premier Smith has made before she got became premier or while she was premier uh, as well. And like, you know, saying, look, can you uh, and making this a referendum about leadership between uh, Rachel Notley and Premier Smith and saying, look, this is what she's doing, like, you know, uh, and this is what she's saying. These are her comments. If you are as opposed to them as we are, vote early, vote, you know, right now. Take make, a stand. Take a stand. And uh, paradoxically, in talking with folks uh, from the UCP who are on the ground on different campaigns, they also <laughs> want people to vote early because they're concerned about the next thing the NDP is going to release against them. And so it's an interesting uh, uh, dynamic where both parties want you to uh, vote early for different reasons. Uh, uh, but in the past, like, you know, the reasons why parties wanted you to vote early was then they didn't, they could use their on the ground resources on election day for a smaller pool of voters that they had to get to the polls. Now they're doing it for that reason, but also these sort of attack and defend uh, political reasons as well. And with the uh, spiking in the advance voting turnout happening more and more during the advance polls, it actually does something quite lovely for all the election campaigners. It shifts it from basically a four-week election to a three-week election with a extended voting period. Yeah. So what that does is you can triage your resources better. It incentivizes getting out the vote and having as many folks as possible vote because you're spending one fourth of the, you know, pro election proper, just getting folks out to the polls. Yeah. But it also does another interesting thing. The one thing that they say about on election campaigns that both you and I and anybody who's been uh, on election campaigns is like you can you can buy a lot of things with like donations and fundraising, but you cannot buy time, and so it explains a lot why the NDP strategy. Yes, they've put out proposals of what they're going to do, but a lot of it that we absorb is their attacks on uh, the UCP and Daniel Smith in particular, and perhaps the reason it feels so much is because their duration for when the first vote can be cast is shortened, like it's smaller. They just like spend way more concentrated. Like if they were going to spread things out over three weeks, actually now spread it out over uh, two weeks, right? And so it feels more. So it has these interesting dynamics on the electorate on how it feels to us. It's no longer a five-course meal. It's McDonald's right thrown at you. Right through the service window. I, I mean, I can you can make a five-course meal out of McDonald's if you really tried. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. You can end with a dessert. They have appetizers. They have a main course. They have salads now. They have salads. So, I mean, you can definitely make a five-course meal out of McDonald's. I get what you're saying. Uh, okay, so that's sort of about the advanced vote. But what's interesting is, you know, moving on from the advanced vote is, which ends on Saturday, 
Then you have Sunday as like uh, a day between in between where uh, the campaigns will gear up and prepare for the final day, the grand finale, which is elections day, election day. And so I've always been interested in this question and I've found it very fascinating being on campaigns and, and other things is what what is actually going on on election day? So Vince, maybe I'll throw it to you and you can tell us from a campaign perspective what the campaigns are doing on election day. And then me and you can talk about like the fun things or the funny things that the politicians themselves do on election day. Yeah. So election day, it's your last chance to vote. Take yourself to Monday. Everyone gets up a little early. All the different campaigns split up into different home centers throughout a riding, throughout the different ridings, throughout Alberta. Because when time matters the most, you want to have your teams embedded in their communities. So rather than operating out of a very limited parking lot or one office for you know the 30,000 or 20,000 folks that are in a ward or district, well... You've spread them out across the district. You have them semi-close to various uh, 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 polling stations. And then you go door to door, person by person. Everyone you've chatted to uh, uh, from beginning of the election to now and say, hey, have you voted yet? And we have a team. Every you know campaign has a team of folks that are at each of these polling stations who are called scrutineers. And they typically hop from one polling station to another and they knock off on a short list called a bingo sheet saying, hey, voter ID, you know, three digits, they voted. So then we know through adding it to a centralized database, we can have our campaigns actually, you know, work between IT, those door knocking, those making phone calls to actually say this person's voted. And as you go through three or four or five different attempts throughout the day for tens upon tens of thousands of individuals, you can make sure that your friends, family, neighbor, community, folks that love you, folks that enjoy your candidate all get to the polls. And by doing this and doing this effort of mass mobilization, after you've collected all the data, this is the last chance to vote, you can spike turnout for your team and and if you're in a constituency where 100 500 a thousand votes is the margin of victory getting to these tens of thousands of folks is so very important so that's the hat you're wearing as a either an election day co-chair or as someone who's helping the democratic process as a scrutineer or someone who's going door to door encouraging folks just to vote yeah, and I've noticed like different campaigns. You did this on uh, the Calgary Center campaigns is the night before you might have a list of all, the night before election day, you have a list of all the folks that have said they're going to vote for you, ask for a lawn sign, but you have cross-checked that have not, uh, ha- did not vote in the advance poll. And the campaign that you guys ran was very sophisticated where you had door hangers, I think, where you went to the specific doors and you put that door hanger with all the places they could vote that morning, in addition to all the folks you were sending them during the day if they hadn't voted already. So it was a very interesting operation. Customized mail pieces based off of individual with name and address 
Oh, there's one campaign. Um, it was uh, 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 a gentleman that kept on running in Ward 7. Never successful in doing it. Couldn't knock off Drew Farrell. But every time he ran, he always had like a running list of thank you cards. Pre-stamped everything. So every time he had someone that was a confirmed voter for him, he would go over to his cue card box, fill out their information, and a week before election, he would take it all, handwritten notes and everything, and drop it in the mailbox so that they'd get it a couple days before, encouraging them to vote. They'd receive it well in advance. They'd receive the voting location and other information, plus a handwritten note from the candidate saying, hey, checking in, be sure to vote. Wonderful chatting about X, Y, and Z. He had a couple thousand of those. Yeah, I mean, it's very good. And so... Uh, so like that's kind of what's going on with the campaigns for you like if you're waiting till election day to vote just go vote and then you know they'll stop bothering you if you you're a confirmed or identified supporter of that party or candidate and then so Vince like what have you seen uh, candidates themselves do so maybe we'll talk a little bit about the candidates and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the leaders yeah some candidates go to the movies. Some of them just hang out with family. I've heard one candidate actually just set themselves up in a bathtub for the whole day and just spend it just relaxing. Yeah, and the reason I've seen that as well. And the reason for that is on that day, on the election day, if you are a good campaign team, you know, and a good candidate, you've basically as a candidate, you've done every single thing that you can do to win. Like that is now, now you're at election day and it's really you alone cannot like make the difference. Like you, if you like, you cannot go say something that's going to like reach a million people. Like the instances of that happening are so few and far between, if at all, that it's just, Better for you to like relax. It's going to be a long night where you're going to be getting in the results. And so most candidates, yeah, like I remember a campaign I was on. I think the candidate went to Canmore for the day and like had like, a, you know, massages and then came back, obviously, a few hours before the polls closed and stuff. So, yeah, because there's very little you can do. So it's, it's interesting to see. What uh, you know, if you're their candidates, you're following in your writing. Just w- just see what they're posting. It's kind of an interesting uh, exercise if, the morning of election day. My favorite tact to take with these politicians, because you know they they always have energy to do something, and they tend to hurt themselves if you leave them to their own devices. Omar, have them deliver food to volunteers. Because, you know, you don't want the scrutiny you're leaving halfway for an hour lunch. No. And, you know, have the candidate pop by with Subway sandwiches or samosas. And it's just, it's a wonderful way of them to be able to just chat with each volunteer one-on-one. Appreciate them. But then also have them stroll throughout the entire community. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And then... And then the leaders themselves, I'm not... I have less... um, visibility to this as far as i know the leaders on that day are also doing somewhat similar things they might have uh some interviews like you know pre-recorded with different media the writing of the three speeches they'll write a few yeah write a few speeches whether they win they lose and i guess if it's an undetermined outcome is that the third speech 
catastrophic uh, 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 issue slash, you know, a tie. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's a, it's the delay, like you know, what can you say while delaying and going for extra time? It's, I see, I see. Okay, interesting. And then there's also, uh, and also for them, it's actually the longest night because they might be on election night. There might be a party that they're at or a convention that their their parties organize where they are expected to speak at the very end and media is there and, and whether the win or loss, so they're taking in the results. They're taking the results usually uh, with their families and very, very, very close advisors and friends. And uh, so that when win or lose, uh, the first reaction they have is a personal one with you know those who are, they choose to have around them. And then they come out. Uh, to the public and the media and their supporters and other candidates, etc. Uh, but it's a uh, it's an interesting thing. So there'll definitely be a lot of uh, you know sort of intrigue and and following by the media of that. So that's what's happening on election day, I guess. And but let's get to the fun fun part of yeah predictions prediction. The stock market predictions. This is the part where where we could make seem like savants or we could make absolute fools of ourselves. Or at least that, that's... Uh, the- I, I think a lot of folks are going to be made fools of this election purely because, you know, there's so many folks who've put out their predictions. There's a couple pollsters who've already predicted one side or the other one claiming victory. Yeah. It's, you know, there's there's no good way to do a prediction because yeah. more often than not, if you're doing predictions, you're going to be wrong sometimes. Most of the time, yeah. So, okay, Vince, let's just put you on the spot here. So the way we're going to do these predictions uh, is... We're going to predict turnout uh, and pers- like across the province, and we're going to predict who, which party is going to win and who's going to be premier, right? So, so maybe uh, we'll do that, and then we'll talk about a few st- the seats you're watching, the, your yeah. bellwether seats. Me and you have a different seats we're watching here. So, why don't you uh, go ahead? So, who do you think is going to win the election, and like what's the turnout going to be? So, I'm going to reverse it on you. I'm going to go. Let's talk about turnout. I'm expecting 66% turnout, which is going to be in one of the top three or four turnouts in Alberta election history. Yeah, so we had like 68 last time or something? I think so. That that was like a multi-decade high. So you're saying we're not going to beat that, but we're going to be near that? Yeah. I think there's going to be some folks who are going to be a little disappointed with... uh, uh, just because of candidate choice between the two leaders, there's been an active depression campaign or uh, uh, trying to just discourage voters from attending to the polls. So I think we're going to have a one or point, one or two point decline on that file. But everyone else, they're riled up. Like the different campaigns have been going out of their way to highlight this is a substantive election that requires your attention and needs your vote. Okay. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I, I'm not sure. How much I think that I'm, I think I'm with you that the turnout will be lower, uh, for some of the reasons you're describing, and also just there might be a lot of conservatives who don't want to vote for the United Conservative Party, but can't bring themselves to vote for uh, any like the NDP or any other uh, political party, so they just might stay at home. You know, I'm kind of excited um, to watch as elections. Uh, .ab.ca releases on election night they're going to have a, a cycling web page that you can hit refresh and it's a little quicker than watching it on the news 
But one of the items for it is it includes spoiled ballots. I want to see where there's a density of spoiled ballots in some of these conservative communities. Purely because, one, that tells me they cared enough to show up and they cared enough to showcase their frustration. Okay, so that's turnout. So let's get to the big one, the big one. Oh, I was reading an article in Dave Berta's uh, uh, Substack about this and his various scenario planning. So the best political operators, they don't try to guess. They try to prepare for, you know, the top three or four scenarios. One was UCP majority. Another one was ND majority. And the maximum spiciness scale of a... 43, 43, one independent mix and madness campaign of purely going, everyone's in a minority and you have folks trying to jump over each other to attempt every shenanigan in the legislature to claim power. Yeah, I mean, we know uh, for sure there will be, at, at least in the beginning, at least potentially one independent candidate uh in Lacombe, was it? Uh, it was the one that was uh, booted yeah. from the UCP. Yeah, over... Jennifer Johnson, who was a UCP candidate, who's been... She'll still technically be a UCP candidate. She's expected to win. Uh, she had some vile remarks about children uh, that caused her to be booted from uh, uh, the caucus where Danielle Smith said that she will not be allowed back in. But it could be the case in that spicy scenario where it's like 43... There are 87 seats in Alberta. You need 80, 44 to form majority. This limits the slim majorities. So um, it'll be like 43 UCP, 43 NDP, and then there's one independent conservative person. Okay, so okay, so you're hedging. You're hedging. No, no, I'm not hedging. Uh, so what I'm looking at is it's been a really close election. Uh, I know that a couple of my friends have been texting me about the great results that they're getting on the door. Yeah. I just think it's too close to call i think every person needs to vote and it's going to shake out in such a way that we're dealing with a scenario where since our ridings are so strangely slanted towards rural alberta case in point there's seats in rural alberta where twenty thousand folks are the electors for a constituency there's a i think there's a low of fourteen thousand. Comparing that to downtown Calgary Buffalo, say, 30,000, 35,000. So it's not like a full, your vote counts for more and gets you more representatives in rural Alberta. So even if the NDs get the majority of the vote, there is still a universe where all the different seats and the seats shake out so that it's a UCP majority purely because of how you have rural seats lining up in their totality towards one political brand, one political party. So there's, and there's also a reason why so many folks over the election have said battleground Calgary, the NDs need to pick up 10 to 12 seats, uh, a super majority of Calgary seats to actually land themselves in majority territory. Have they done that work? Have they convinced Calgarians to make the leap? And you never know until election day on that file because there's a bit of an electoral gambit going on, Omar. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think about? So I haven't given the there? prediction. Are you like hedging? You don't want? Oh, to I'm ask? hedging. 
I, I'm hedging like nothing else because like Omar, it's, I look at him going like, I'm not sure the NDs were able to convince these several different uh, constituencies. I see them flipping bow, Calgary bow. I see them flipping Calgary East. I see them possibly flipping over Calgary Glenmore. But what about Calgary North? What about Calgary Northwest? Uh, I think Varsity is probably going to flip ND. But notice we haven't gotten to that 12 mark. Notice how we haven't gotten and jumped over there. I think Banff uh, might, might be in the cards. And I think, you know, Rob Miyashiro and crew in Lethbridge might be able to turn all of Lethbridge orange. But hold on a second. That means they're still short. So even with like an ex- excellent result out of, you know, two semi rural seats plus the uh, seats out of, you know, the inner city of Calgary, they're still short. Five seats, Omar. Have they clinched it? I'm not sure. And we need to rely on the decision of all these Calgarians and, you know, just, uh, you know, suburban Calgary. Have they shifted? Have they seen enough of one candidate or their one leader to go, well, I need to lend them my vote this one time around. So I want to be more definitive. I think, and I might be, uh, you know, me, well, I might seem foolish later, is I think it is much more, dif- like for the same similar reasons you're saying, it is much more difficult for the NDP to win the election because than the UCP because this is, on a high level, this is the scenario. NDP could win Sorry, NDP could win all of Edmonton and they'd have to win, you know, as my, I think whatever it was, like a super majority of seats in Calgary and then a few more seats in the Donut and other parts of the province. And the Donut is the area around Edmonton, uh, just outside the uh, city limits. And then they form a government. The UCP could lose all of Edmonton, they could lose basically half of Calgary. And just keep their rural seats, and they still form a majority, right? So that's why it's so much easier for the UCP, and that's why my prediction is the UCP will form the next government. Uh, but we'll see if I'm wrong or right. Uh, but that's kind of how I see it. I think the NDP in this campaign, on the ground, from what I've seen on different campaigns, has just run. They they have been laser focused on. Calgary laser focused on getting their candidates in place and having strong, smart campaign teams on the ground. The yeah. number of uh, uh, personal lawn signs you see like on people's homes so that like, it's not like a random street sign. It's like a sign that someone put on their home that chose, they asked for it, has the shot up to the roof. And that is, uh, again, like signs don't vote, uh, but you're seeing way more in this election than you saw in the past. And that is a reflection of a well-run campaign and the emphasis they put on the ground. So I think that's a big part. So, so the NDP is putting it all out on the field, but I, and they're running a really uh, smart, uh, hardworking campaign. Modern campaign. Modern campaign. But I have to say, uh, I just think the odds are stacked against them. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens on election day. I could be wrong. I've got a few bets uh, going with a few folks. So we'll see how that shakes out. On um, 
the turnout, yeah, I'm with you. I think it won't be the 68% because I think more people will stay home on the conservative side. So I think we'll be in that, yeah, somewhere 63, 64 something. Uh, but so let's talk about uh, what seats you're watching. So for those people are following on election night, they're going to be looking at a few seats. So what seats are you watching? So uh, I'm going to be watching for uh, uh, Mr. Parmeet Singh in Calgary, Falcon Ridge. It's one of the uh, one-on-ones, ND versus UCP. Uh, and I, I'm going to be watching for that seat because that gentleman ran last time, barely lost. And he's trying for it again. So he's built up his connections with the community over the last while. He's been attending events and whatnot. And he's been putting in the uh, the effort. So can he flip this blue seat orange? So that's Calgary Falcon Ridge. So keeping an eye on that one. Yeah, so the one I'm keeping an eye on is... Uh, there are two, actually. So uh, one is Calgary Glenmore. So this is represented by MLA Whitney Isik, I think, from... Uh, uh, the UCP, but this is the same area on the federal scene that was represented by Stephen Harper for many years. So it's like the south of Calgary, you know, uh, Glenmore, uh, uh, Cedar Bray, like these kinds of uh, communities that is uh, more conservative. And it's going to be a difficult uh, riding for the NDP to pick up, but they have a candidate, Najwan. Uh, Al-Gunid, I think, Al-Gunid, and she's an energy, uh, like works in the energy industry, is sort of uh, well-regarded in the, in the sector amongst those who follow the sector, and she's running a really strong campaign on the ground, and, you know, she's signed up a bunch of NDP members, which, like, so this is people who are, had to pay to be members of the NDP party so that they could vote for her to be the candidate, and I think it was, like, hundreds upon hundreds that she signed up personally and that's like shocking to me because most people don't sign up for a party membership and 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 that riding in particular so so that'll be an interesting one to watch only because if that riding goes orange then the UCP and their sort of south wall of south calgary where it's very conservative starts like showing cracks and breaking uh, because you you expect the downtown ridings and the writings by the universities, you know, to be more friendly to the NDP. But these ones are much more difficult in the South. The other writing I'm looking at is Calgary Elbow. Before we get to Elbow, though, and this might impact Elbow a little bit. This is why the uh, Nazi comments were so powerful in this one jurisdiction. There's a not insubstantive population of Jewish Calgarians that live in Calgary Glenmore. So when those comments came up again, it was a, it had an impact on this flippable seat. So if you notice that folks were focusing on those comments a bit more, it's because it had an immediate impact on the electoral boundaries and what seat goes where. Yeah, for sure. I think like uh, that whole area and like Glenmore and Pump Hill and all those areas for sure. I think the Jewish Community Center is there. I think the Safeway, I like going to that Safeway because it's the only one where you can get challah bread, I think. Yeah, and also the deli meats. Oh, good. But anyways, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, when uh, Danielle Smith like compared uh, Albertans who got the vaccines to like followers of Hitler, it was a weird comment, weird thing to say. But you're right, that will impact that that area for sure. 
uh, in the close riding, every 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 vote counts uh, like um, even more. So, but back to Calgary Elbow. Yeah, so Calgary Elbow is the other one I'm going to be watching on election night. Uh, it is uh, sort of also inner city riding, contains Elbow Drive, Elbow Park, Stanley Park, goes all the way down to Chinook Center. I think Windsor Park is part of it and Altador. And it's been getting really weedsy into the neighborhoods. But uh, this riding has like historically been a conservative riding. It's been held by two different premiers, uh, Ralph Klein of the Progressive Conservatives and Allison Redford. It was held for a term by Alberta Party MLA Greg Clark and former party leader Greg Clark. The Alberta Liberals as well with, I believe, Craig Cheffins for yeah. a term. Yeah, they had a by-election where the Alberta Liberals have held that. So... They are like known to zag when you know they don't want to vote for a conservative, but it is like uh, one of the ridings where uh, it is an interesting one. It's it, it was also represented by the UCP Justice Minister for a while, and he changed portfolios. Uh, Doug Schweitzer, and then he resigned a few months after Jason Kenney stepped down as premier and leader uh, that summer, I think, and so or announced that he was going to. So, so it's now, it's a vacant riding, and so there's a UCP candidate, Chris Davis, I think, who mm-hmm. ran for city council a few times. Ran for Ward 8 a couple times, yeah. had, uh, you know, one or two mayoral ambitions, didn't quite work out. Noted conservative lawyer who makes regular appearances at, Mon- at City Hall. Okay, yeah. So he's known. Yeah, and then another energy uh, industry consultant, Samir Kayande. So they're both running against each other. I think it should be close. Just driving there again, very uh, shocked me. Per- not shocked, but like surprised by the number of uh, NDP signs that are out in places like along Elbow Drive and Mount Royal and, and et cetera. So that's another one I'm watching. I think like if these two flip... Uh, Calgary Glenmore, which is in the south suburban riding of Calgary, and Calgary Elbow, which is an inner city, much more affluent riding of the city. If these two flip for the NDP, that bodes well for their goals and what they need to do in the city of Calgary. So, right. uh, Another seat that I'm paying attention to is Rosman Valencia, uh, NDP candidate in Calgary East. Okay. So a chunk of this was represented by Joe Sisi, for a, a term or so when it was uh, part of uh, Calgary Fort. Uh, historically, you know, represented by folks who, you know, of the conservative bent who are often center, center, left or so. So I'm watching that seat purely because I'm seeing chunks of the Northeast. There's been a strategy to heavily canvas and do that deep listening work that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, and it's looking at it. I can. See, I'm keeping an eye out for Rossman and his crew. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So those are the seats you're watching in the city. Uh, I'm sure there are obviously other ones in the province. Lethbridge East, some parts of Sherwood Park. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more. I think it's called Mournville Sherwood Park. Yeah. Uh-huh. The yeah, the Banff Kananaskis riding. Uh-huh. Uh, etc. But former uh, deputy premier Mr. Lukasak has been canvassing and going to with the candidate in I want to say Medicine Hat. Okay. So there's efforts afoot there, and we also had uh, a uh, the one PC minister, former municipal affairs Doug Griffiths, uh, endorsed two NDP candidates, and I'm kind of curious 
I'll be looking at the cross tabs in the final. Like it won't be watching election night. It'll be when all the final votes come in, and I can look at the Excel spreadsheet two weeks from now. I can go, all right, which one of Doug's neighbors got you know listened to him or not? Yeah, it'll be interesting. So awesome. So those are those are the things you're saying. You've, you've got well, you've got my predictions. Vince just sort of waffled. I waffled, Omar. <laughs> and, I, I I walked around the question. I said it was complicated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what are we, so what can we leave uh, everyone with to like read or any? Uh... Nenshi had a wonderful op-ed with CTV News Online. It was an excellent article. We'll add it to the show notes. Yeah. He basically walked through Lee Richardson, Senator Gitter, uh, Doug Griffiths, various other. Conservatives, yeah. Who uh, went ND and he highlighted the different scenarios that these folks are struggling with and you know, showing up with compassion and understanding and saying, hey, it's kind of hard. I get it. Uh, you know, so looking through that, that's one fascinating read. Uh, Omar, anything on your end? Yeah, I saw an article by uh, CBC, uh, I think, uh, you know, columnist, and I think he's uh, editor Jason Markasoff. And he was doing an analysis of... Uh, uh, all the different like candidates and uh, the parties and their strengths and their weaknesses and the specific writings he's looking at uh, as well for this election. So you know the, in, there were interesting facts that he had. So I didn't realize that the UCP when they won had a forty-four seat margin, you know, over like their previous uh, result, which was like I I mean I knew they had won a massive majority, but I didn't realize how massive it was. And, you know, and then when the, uh, he's been all the way back to almost over a decade ago where when the progressive conservatives under Allison Redford won, like theirs was also like a, almost like 20, 30 seat majority, even though the election was so much closer. And it made me think of what the point you raised earlier is that, you know, I believe the UCP will win, but I wonder if it is the case that the NDP could win a real majority of votes but the UCP just because of the way the elect the our elect elect the system in which we elect our candidates are is so um, uh, structured that the UCP could win a large majority of seats. I think it'll be closer than it won't be as I think I think net net the UCP will win seats, but they will uh, sorry the UCP will win the election, but they will lose seats from their massive majority. I think that's inevitable. But uh, we'll see. It's very fascinating. So we'll put the link to Jason's article on in the show notes as well. Sounds good. And I think I think that's all she wrote. We're currently at the forty minute mark, Omar. Anything you'd like to add? Show notes, otherwise, because this is this is our second last episode, Omar. Penultimate, <laughs> so, the penultimate prediction episode. <laughs> so this was a bit of an experiment. We're looking for feedback. This was a limited series of eight episodes or so. Uh, Omar, if someone wanted to share feedback, questions, otherwise, how would they do so? Yeah, so if you have any you know, comments, please comment uh, below in the comment section on this LinkedIn post. We'll also post our link tree where you can click in on a button and email us as well. Uh, 
If you're so inclined, uh, you know, leave a comment on the podcast app of your choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you're using with, you know, and let us know what you think. I mean, we read all the reviews and... The one star still bothers me, Omar. I found out the person didn't actually, uh, the person we thought gave us the one star didn't give us the one star. So it doesn't matter. I mean, leave whatever stars you think, uh, uh, the, you know, are appropriate. I mean, we like the five star reviews, but we'll read all the reviews. Also, it doesn't cause harm if you uh, review it badly. We just want to hear the reviews because this won't be the last podcast bit of mischief that we're up to. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's it. So uh, I'm excited for the election. I'm actually going to be in Montreal on election night. So, you know, if you're following me on LinkedIn, you might just see a bunch of comments from me. <laughs> but it'll be as I follow along and react to results. But it'll be great. It should be good, Omar. It's been a pleasure doing this with you. So we will, we will talk soon, buddy.